Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to episode 23, part three of Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Ralph Hacker. The newest member of the University of Kentucky Athletics Hall of Fame and former voice of the Wildcats will take you on a journey winding through the darkest period of Kentucky basketball and ending his career in 2002. We'll start with the hiring of Coach Eddie Sutton, and Ralph will describe the struggles that Coach Sutton faced and shares his experience during that time. Currently, we're in the age of one and done, but how did one Wildcat great go about declaring his eligibility for the draft? Ralph tells us. Ralph will also take you back to March 28th, 1992 at the Philadelphia Spectrum in the last game for the Unforgettables and the last game for one, Kaywood Ledford. He'll address a couple of topics that Kentucky fans love to argue about that involves one of the greatest, if not the greatest time period in Kentucky basketball history. I'll let you decide that for yourself. Ralph Hacker had the best seat in the house for many years, and he'll talk to us about his relationship with past coaches and some personalities around UK and the SEC. I'm Bo Robinson, and this is Kentucky Basketball from the viewpoint of Ralph Hacker. My hope is that you will appreciate Ralph Hacker for the contributions to the program and also appreciate his honesty with Oscar. Trust me, you're going to learn a few things about Kentucky basketball that will go beyond your radio dial. So embrace the velvet tones of Ralph Hacker. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs. We go we go to an era that touches both of us probably a little bit more personal than probably any other coach that I've been around here, maybe you too. And, and uh, it started out so great, the Eddie Sutton era. Yeah, he was kind of a shock to be uh, – They'd offered it to Lou Holtz, not Lou Holtz, uh, Lou Olson. Lou Olson. And uh, then Gene Bartow. Gene Bartow, but uh, Lou Olson twice. Yes, that was the first time. Uh, agreed and turned it down. Yeah. Okay. Supposedly because he told the newspaper, the Arizona Republic, that these two reporters was just making it impossible for him to recruit. So One of them got fired, whatever happened to the other, and whatever it is, he went back to Arizona. Well, he made it on a Dr. Singletary and – Played it for money. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, uh, Eddie came in here full of promise, and uh, I didn't know Eddie Sutton. I met him the night he took the job. Uh, and uh, I remember when we sat down and started talking about his, his radio and TV contract, I, I knew the guy in uh, Arkansas who had handled the radio television up there. The guy was a owned a number of radio stations, and I called him up. I'd been on the NAB board and, and things, committees with him. And he said, you won't like him at all. said, you won't like him. He's hard to get along with. He won't be on, up on time for the shows. He won't show up. He's very undependable. I said, okay. And I said, if you don't mind, let me discuss, just give me a ballpark of what you paid him. 
And he told me. And I said, well, no wonder he didn't show up. <laughs> he said, what do you pay him? I told him, he said, you're a kid. I said, no, that's what we paid Joe B. And we'll pay the same thing to Eddie. In the years Eddie Sutton was here, he never missed a show and was never late whatsoever. I found him to be most dependable and most trustworthy. Yeah, I had an unbelievable first year. Had to play LSU and Alabama both four times. Four times. And uh, after that season, the NCAA changed the uh, seating of the NCAA because of that. Uh, I don't think there's any question they would have won the title had they beaten the LSU in that fourth game. I don't think there's any question about it either, but, you know, that's the way things were. That, that is. That was the rules. And you had to had to go by the rules. But, but and, and the thing was is that uh, the team that Kentucky should have been playing down there should have been Georgia Tech. But Georgia Tech was forced to go on the road and play a much lower, higher-seeded team, LSU, at LSU. And they got upset down there that put LSU in there. And that was, yeah, right. I, again, because of NCAA rules at the right. time, yeah. the way that the, the thing to work, and I think you're, I, I believe you to be true that if Kentucky had not had to play both of those teams four times, they would have won the thing. Uh, his second year here, he brought in Rex Chapman, right, and they still had uh, a, a very good team that that uh, sec that first and second year of Rex, and then Rex left. Uh, what do you remember most about Rex being here? I think it was the first year he was here that they just annihilated uh, LSU, uh, Louisville right. at Freedom Hall, and that's when Eddie sort of let the tongue slip and the famous little brother phrase came into the dictionary. I, I, I do remember that, 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 that Rex had a fantastic game. The surprise by a lot of people was that, that, uh, that Eddie got Rex rather than Louisville get Rex. Yes, because he, he grew up a U of L fan. But that was the surprise that, yeah. that uh, Kentucky was able to get him with Sutton going down there and, and bringing him in here in the style of basketball that Eddie played versus Violet Denny played, et cetera, et cetera, that they would get Rex. But Rex was a good fit. Rex, uh, you could build a program around Rex, like building one around Kenny Walker, you know, mm -hmm. that Joe Hall left here. You know, yeah. you, could, you could do that. You could do that. Uh, and it, I remember, uh, you know, Rex being a great basketball player, but I also remember Rex going to do things his way. He's going to do it. He's going to do it his way, and he would compromise some of the coaches to get the thing done on behalf of the team. But uh, Rex is one hell of an athlete. And then I remember when he uh, told me on the air at the SEC tournament that this was his last year. He's going pro. And we're, you know, I think, I think that surprised a lot of people. Well, it surprised his daddy. His daddy was sitting right behind me, and I turned around to his daddy, and I said, uh, "Well." What about Rex going, leaving? He says, he's not leaving. I said, he just told me right here. And his daddy jumped over the rail and went straight back to the dressing room. And then Rex denied it in the press conference back there. But we'd recorded the program to go in, to be aired. And was Rex telling me that, yes, he was leaving. This was his last game with Kentucky. You think right. the relationship between Rex and Eddie was? It deteriorated. It was and I, I, I know why it deteriorated, but I'm not at liberty to say. Uh, I would not. I would not do that. But yes, I, there's no question it deteriorated and, and deteriorated uh, in that season. And then, of course, the next year is when everything really fell apart. Well, you know, when you're when you're planning on building around Rex and he's not there, you know, you, your bricks are falling apart. And then you've got 
look at all the people that Eddie Sutton recruited that never had agreed to come to Kentucky that never got to play here. Uh, there are stories that I will go to my grave with that Can I know share them? That, that I know that I that I that I know. Yeah, that would absolutely devastate a lot of people if I told them that were true. Share one with us. No, I won't. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do anything like that to hurt you, and I wouldn't do anything like that to hurt these people. They told I, it to I me. Can in, understand. They told it to me in confidence, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it was validated, and not just one, but probably a half a dozen of those of those things, having not to do with recruiting, mm-hmm. but having to do with the recruits when they were here and things that happened around that particular thing, uh, having to do with the the you know the the, the thing did did they or did they not put the money in there. Uh, you know that's uh, that's not gonna gonna come out of my mouth. Uh, uh, what Will happened? Will we ever know what happened? No, life? no. Not unless somebody decides that on their last dying breath to say I did it. You know, and to my knowledge, they're all alive. Uh, that, uh, but you won't. You won't. Uh, I, I'm not gonna tell it. And I think I was, as far as to say, if you call, if you called me a media person, and some people wouldn't. But if you call me a media person, I probably had more knowledge of all those situations. And I would sit down and I would read what they were writing, and most of them were 180 degrees off. And I, and I know that on, on the road the last year, one of the first things Eddie would have me do uh, was go f- call home and have them fax me the newspaper stories uh, about it. Because that was before the days of the Internet. Mm-hmm. He would fax them to me, and I would take them up to his room, you know, and give these to him. And would sit there and talk about these things, and and these guys who they're nice people and they were doing their job and they're they're they're, they're, they're fine reporters, but I'm telling you, it's a, and I and I told, he's now deceased, the publisher of the Herald Leader, before at that time, he's now deceased. When he's writing a book, he's interviewing me, and I said, you were dead wrong. Now you want a Pulitzer Prize for this, and you want a Pulitzer are you talking Prize about him interviewing you in the recent three yeah. or four years? Yeah. Yes. I, and I never told him. I just said. He said, well, tell me the story. I said, nope, I'm not going to tell you the story. I'm just going to tell you I was there, and you're dead wrong. Do you think, looking back at it, had Otis Singletary still been president, that things would have turned out like they did? I'll just quote Otis Singletary. He put his arm around me one day and says, how can Vice President Eddie Sutton would still be coach. Real quickly, uh, He's moved on. He stayed out of coaching for a year. He came back to Oklahoma State. Had a very successful run that I don't know anybody outside of his family and probably you that would have predicted he would have had that successful run. But he is, uh, quite frankly, ailing pretty badly right now with his age and everything. But Eddie Sutton was a person you could never hate. That's exactly You could right. never dislike. And I remember a couple of times I wrote a column that was – Fairly, in a, in in his mind would have been negative in my in every, anybody else's mind. I controversial at the least, and I'd walk into practice the next day and say, "Let's go get us a bag of popcorn." Yeah, and that was Eddie to me. He's no cowboy. He really, you know, uh, he rode a horse and spit tobacco. I guess <laughs> if he'd have been out driven out west, uh, I don't know how. If you knew Eddie Sutton, you could not like you couldn't dislike Eddie Sutton. He was what he was, uh, and if he was your friend, he was your friend, and uh, and he would do whatever he said he would do. 
for his friends. He watched, again, another one of those guys who watched after his friends and his family. I think when he went to Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, I'd been around him probably nearly, not every day, but probably close to every day uh, in the year that he was off coaching. And we visited hundreds of times, and not just dozens. And he came into my office and said, I've been offered a job at, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State. It's not near the money I was making at the University of Kentucky. He said, what do you think? And I looked at him, and I said, how many other jobs have you been offered? He said, none. Now, this is also his alma mater, right? His alma mater? His brother-in-law was an assistant athletics director there at that particular point. Uh, they wanted him to come back. They wanted him to come back. And uh, he goes out there, through some, through some and, and talks to them, comes back. He said, uh, can I get in my office? And he said, I want to tell you something. And with tears in his eyes, literally crying, he said, I lied to you. He said, a few years ago, you came in and asked me if I had a drinking problem. And I said. Uh, now, when he was at Kentucky. I was at Kentucky. And I said, uh, this is when he came back from Oklahoma State after interviewing out there. And he said, uh, and I, again, I may have the, the days wrong and this sort of thing, but it's, it's, it's a story. He came in and says, I lied to you. He said, you asked me if I had a drinking problem. And I told you I didn't. He said, I lied. And he literally cried. And he said, you didn't deserve that. You were my friend, and I lied to you. He said, I'm a drunk. Said, I'm a drunk. He says, I've been to alcohol. He told me where he'd been. So I've been, been there, and I knew he'd been there. Uh, and I said, the guy you don't you need to apologize to is not me, Oscar Combs. And he said, I said, Oscar, Oscar's tried to help you. And he, and he denied this, but Oscar's the guy that you need to talk to. So at some particular point, he called you. Actually, it was the morning that he was hired at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Then they made the announcement. Yes. Right. So he goes back, and he calls you. Am I right about that? Yes, he, he did. He apologized to you, and he did, he did, uh, did that. And that was something he didn't have to do, but no. he, was, he was a you know, kind of man he is. He thought you were his friend, and he had lied to you. He wanted to apologize to you. And then he does the press conference. They announce him as a coach, and he does the press conference. He does the entire press conference, and they all welcomed him warmly, and they said, uh, he said, uh, all right, did anybody have anything else? And they said, no, so quiet, if you recall. He said, I'll tell you something. I'm an alcoholic. And he spilled it all right yes, there before. It, it was a one-day story. In Oklahoma, it was a one-day story. It never came back up until – Fell off the wagon. But in that period, he had great success. He was out jogging. And they had redone the road and regraded the road. And he was jogging, and his car literally ran him off the road. And he goes over a several-foot embankment. And in doing that, broke some ribs and some other damage. Comes back. They put him in the hospital. He survives. They put him on pain pills. Pain pills led to higher pain pills, led to alcohol. 
and he went spiraling down again on the thing. Uh, it's happened to other friends of mine and the viewers and people who are listening to this thing. It's a sad thing. Here's a man who had it whipped by an act of God. It gets him again. And he's he. I think he's living uh, in an assisted living. Well, I think he's actually living at home, but they've got him twenty four hour day yeah. health care. And uh, you know, uh, I don't know when we run this. Maybe a couple of weeks, and hopefully he's still living. But our prayers are with him. And Eddie was was is really a good person. There's no question. I used to hear from him all the time. I'd call him all the time. But since you know he can't converse very well, I yeah. and I actually I started to Tulsa last summer. Uh, and my trip was going to be out to uh, Texas. We're going to fly in to Tulsa, visit with Eddie, drive on out to see Donna and Tubby Smith, and then make a trip to the West. Well, you, you know, I, I say this in, in all due respect to today's fans, but so many of the fans, particularly those under 40 today, uh, I don't know that they really know the Eddie Sutton that we knew. What he did was bad. Uh, the things that got out of hand were bad, but he had a disease, right. and that's not to yeah. try to uh, say anything that's not true. But the people who worked around him and the people who knew him, he he was a good and is a good person. And you know, I I know in the situation he is now, he's probably will be better off when he's when he leaves than what he is now, struggling so much. But uh, but that is something I always remember will be one that was always helpful to anybody that needed help. All you had to do is, is mention that there was somebody needing help, and, and he would he'd take care of it, whether it be monetarily, whether it be a call, whether it be trying to help him get a job, what it, whatever it was, going to the hospital to visit him. He was the kind of guy, he, he, he's the kind of guy you want to live next door to. Yes. Is what he was. He's Luke, the kind of guy in Lexington that would push your garbage out and bring it back at night. You know, that sort of thing. Moving on, this gets into the real crux of your career. Uh, the, Rick Patino comes along, following him. They have the first year where they are. they were. I think they were actually up two games in the win column with two games to go, and I think they had to play on the road, somebody like Mississippi State or something. And because they couldn't go to the tournament that year, Rick figured out a way that he could play an extra game. And so he ended the season at Notre Dame the week of the SEC tournament. He could play that week. He couldn't play once the tournament started. But the season ended for everybody else on Sunday. I think we played Notre Dame on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And if we won that game, uh, he would have he, he would have had a running record. Yeah. But they lost the game to Notre Dame. Uh you can believe this. Of all the coaches we've ever had, nobody played the angles better than Rick. He figured it all out ahead of time. He did his best to win every ball game, and he's the doggonest competitor I've ever been around. He, he has that year. The next year, he just really wrenches it up a notch or two. Uh, Derek Miller was gone. He was the lone senior that mm-hmm. was a big contributor. Uh, but he, he, he gets it together with the unforgettables and – Mashburn comes along, and then in 92, the big year, uh, nobody still sees Kentucky as a threat for the Final Four. Maybe top ten, but not Final Four. They have an unbelievable year, and then they run into Duke 
Uh, what, what do you remember about that particular? Well, what I think people forgot, you know, you, you're talking about the unforgettables. Yes. You're talking about Mashburn. Mashburn was just an app. If they want to talk about putting statues in downtown Lexington, <laughs> put that one in downtown yeah. Lexington, uh, you know, of Jamal Mashburn. He's the guy who came in really as, as a player and saved, saved the program. Uh, but the thing they, that they tend to do, and I think most people do this, Oscar, is when they're talking about things, you say, okay, we've got Mashburn, uh, we've got uh, Feldhaus, uh, we've got uh, Farmer, you know, we've got Pelfrey. The one thing they forget, Kentucky also had Patino. Mm-hmm. They had Jimmy O'Brien. You know, you had two of the greatest coaches in college. And people forgot about about that thing. They just looked at the players. They forgot about who's going to move the players, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And it all played out well until Rick did not put a man on a man putting the ball in bounds <laughs> at, uh, at Philadelphia. And I still believe, uh, just my belief as a fan, that if he'd have put a man on there, he had to arch the ball a lot higher, you know, to give it a lot better chance to get up there and knock the ball down and do all those particular things uh, that happened. I don't. I bet there's not been a time he hadn't put a man on the guy throwing well, the ball in yet. I think the amazing thing with with Christian Leitner, I don't think he missed a shot that night, field goal or free throw. Right. You know. And how lucky was Christian Leitner that he stepped on Amina Timberlake rather than Darren Feldhaus? Mm-hmm. He would have had no career. No. Darren Feldhaus would have ripped his leg off yeah. and handed it to they him. They wouldn't have had to throw him out. No. They'd have carried him out. There was no question. It had been, been on a stretcher. There are a lot of things that went there. But back to the actual fact of the game. How many more times can you play two-tenths of a second and yeah. the same thing happened and happened that night? Yeah. I, mean, I thought he, I, remember, I remember saying, you know, Kentucky's advancing on, et cetera, et cetera, and Kay would turn to me and said, Ralph, not so quick. This is Duke we're talking about. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. Now, intertwined with all that hoopla and everything over Duke, taking them to the wire, almost winning everything, something else was going on that night. You, you walked into that stadium, that field house that night, Knowing that was the last game you were going to be working with Kaywood Ledford. If Kentucky lost. If Kentucky lost. If Kentucky lost, I, I knew that that was the last game I'd be working with him. He had uh, expressed his desire that he, want, he was going to quit. He expressed his desire to me. He wanted me to take his place. You know? I mean, that was, that's how it was. And uh, everybody – so Brooks knew it. People knew that when we lost, that's when Kaywood was going to – And you had a huge them. crowd around you doing there's, the post game. There's no question. And as soon as the game was over – Mike Krzyzewski walks over and looks me in the eye and says, Ralph, can I have your headphones? And I handed it to him. And he, and he proceeds to talk to Kaywood. In the meantime, I got worried that Patino wasn't coming out to do his postgame show. Which wouldn't have been a surprise. Well, except he only missed one. Only missed one. Uh, and I, so I went back and I said, uh, he was raising Kane with Brooks. And about not, he was not going to go out there and do his postgame show, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, if you don't want to get paid, don't show up, <laughs> which is what I told him when he missed the other one and didn't send him the check. He raced me back to the table. And we also did the postgame. We did the show for the TV for the next day when he got through with that. He didn't want to, but we did it. Uh, you know, my philosophy was if you're going to get paid, you ought to work you're on the thing. And he actually sat down there with Kaywood and did it. And when he, when he realized you know, he had time to think about it, you know, when Rick had time to settle down and to think about this stuff, it was all it was all right. 
you know, it was just in the heat of the moment that he didn't want to come out there. Uh, Rick's a brilliant man. And he loved Kay Wood Ledford like nobody else. He loved him. And, and, and he would have been brokenhearted if he had not come out there and said his goodbyes to Kay Wood. So after all this happens, anything special that night that you took from Kay Wood, that being his last game? No, I just I remember him just saying that to me, Ralph, this is Duke. And that's the way it turned out, you know, is that it was Duke, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it happened. I remember I left my uh, my computer there once I got back to the, uh, I was back first laptops had just come out. Mm -hmm. I had a laptop there I have everything on. And I remember we got back to the hotel and I said, oh, my God, I forgot my computer. And I had Heather with me. And we had to catch a cab and go back out to the, to the gymnasium to, to get my computer, which is up under the table. So now suddenly Ralph Hacker, voice of the Wildcats, 92-93. You start out with a Final Four run, pretty good. Pretty good initial run. Well, I understand. I had nothing to do with that. <clears throat> I had nothing to do with them getting well, the final there's four. No, there's no, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with taking credit for. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I, coaches I, take credit for a lot of things. I know, but I've, I've tried not. To, I tried to live my life where I didn't take credit for things that I didn't have anything to do with. You got to understand that, Oscar. Uh, if I didn't have anything to do with it, if uh, I tried not to take credit for it, give the people credit who did. All I did, I was there to report what happened. I was there to report. What happened, and that's all I did. Was just I was fortunate to have a great seat until you get to the final four, and then we got to the final four. We had horrible seats. I might as well stay at home watch it on television. <laughs> uh, the '93 season, I I really thought that was one of the seasons too that that they would win it. Uh, and it was a good Michigan a, had a had a had a had a, a player to foul out early, and I think one of the players were sick, maybe. Mm -hmm. Again, again, I, th and I think I follow Rick's philosophy on this. You can be good. You can do everything right. But once you get to the NCAA, when it's one and out, you know, one the and, true one and, and done. done. The true one and done. A lot of luck comes into that. It may be the team that you're playing. It may be where you're playing. Even though with Kentucky, I don't think it makes a lot of difference where they play. Even today. I mean, you're going to have such a huge crowd there. It's like having a home crowd. I don't think it makes a lot of difference with that thing, Oscar. And, and, and I think that, uh, that you know, whether it be 92, 93, 94, 84, 75, 78, Kentucky had the advantage of the crowd everywhere we went. If we played in Knoxville, Tennessee, we had the crowd advantage. If we played in Nashville, Tennessee. We were equal, even though Vandy didn't want, to, didn't want to admit it. We were equal. But if it was tournament time, we had the advantage. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Kentucky is, 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 is better than anybody else. I remember Woody Durham, North Carolina, the great announcer to North Carolina for 30-some years. We were playing North Carolina in Atlanta, Atlanta or Birmingham. And we had just, we must have had 80% of the crowd. He came up to me and said, Ralph, is it like this all the time? And I said, Woody, everywhere we go, it's like this. I think that was Rick's last game in Birmingham. It was. I think it's, it's, you're right there. And he just shook his head and he says, we don't draw anything like this when we're on the road. So back to your question. Uh, while, while you remember some seasons and your seasons like this, I think Kentucky always has the advantage. I think they're always advantage. I think in all reality, Kentucky probably will be a favorite everywhere we go because when it comes to tournament time. So you go Final Four in 93, you win it in 96 in Madison Square Garden, or mm -hmm. not Madison Square Garden, over in the Meadowlands, actually. Meadowlands in New Jersey. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you get to the championship game in 97, 
and then Tubby oh, thought we'd win that one in '97. Thought we'd, I thought we'd win that uh, win that game and, at '97, and that was the year that everybody was so upset about Derek Anderson not getting to play in the final two games. Well, let me let me tell you a story about that. Yes, we were in San, we're, you know, we Rick San Paul, Jose. Yeah, Rick Call. Oh, I don't know, a day before we left, and he says, uh, uh, "Ralph is Maryland going?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Well, y'all pack enough clothes because if we win." We're not coming back home. Okay, we first went to Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. City, and then to San Jose. Then San Jose. So we're not leaving. We're not. We're not. We're not uh, uh, going to come back home until we're through. Mm-hmm. So, fair enough. So I told Marilyn we pack, she packed the clothes. Go to, we go out there and and play in Salt Lake City. Win in Salt Lake City. Uh, and then we go on out to San Jose, and I remember that every day Rick. And um, Jimmy and some of the other coaches now would get up, would get up and we would we would jog to where we were, we were practicing, and sometimes we'd jog there and back in San Francisco, we ran up down those Deadburn Hills. Mm-hmm. What I meant, well, because we didn't go to San Jose, we left Salt Lake City and went to San Francisco for three days or something like that. Mm-hmm. We're out there, so I, re- I remember I remember how you know how he maintained practice, how he, everything was the same. And I remember us practicing at uh, this gymnasium, it was the University of San Francisco up there, and uh, I'm standing down here in the end zone. And here comes uh, Derek Anderson. He's driving to the basket. I can see Rick standing at not quite mid-court at an angle from me. And here comes Derek Anderson driving to the basket, and Nazi comes through and hits him. Knocks him to the floor. And this was just you know, practice. Rick, in about three steps, came from where he was to where Nazi was, looked at Derek and says, are you okay? And Derek nodded. And he jumped, grabbed Nazi Mohammed. And just, I mean, I thought he was going to beat him to death. So that night, later that afternoon, we're back, we jogged back down there from the University of San Francisco to the to the. Hyatt Embarcadero, I think, is where we're standing. So we're standing there, and uh, here again, my name, the writer for the Boston Globe. Uh, Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan. Was, came in the lobby, and I'm standing there, and he asked Rick, he said, uh, after this is over, are you going to go to Boston? Rick said, no, I'm staying at the University of Kentucky. I'm staying right here. Brooks comes up about that point, and uh, he said uh, uh, something else. And he kind of walked off, and I said, uh, is Derek going to play? He stood there a minute, and he said, Ralph, and I think Brooks heard this. He said, no. Just like that. I said, really? He said, you saw what happened there today. He said, I can't jeopardize this young man's pro career and his earnings for my selfishness of wanting to win the national championship. He said, I can't, he said, I can't jeopardize it. He he actually made a reference to that earlier after the championship game of the SEC tournament. Yep. Can't remember where it was at that particular year. It might have been New Orleans. But anyway, he got on the podium, and uh, they asked him about how he was coming back. He Well, he's coming back good right now. He's, can he play next week? I don't think so. You know, uh, we just got to be careful with him. And finally, he left the podium 
went took three steps down and wheeled around and come back. So let, let me just make something very clear to you guys. If he were my son, I would not play him unless he's 100% and jeopardize his career. And I think the moment he said that, he painted himself into a corner. And then once that incident happened in San Jose or San Francisco, San Francisco. you know, that just sort of, because had, had he got hurt, then many people would have went back to that press conference and said, well, you said you wouldn't want to play him because if he were your son. So I agree with you completely. I think that's. I, I think and I've always admired him for making that decision. I'll tell you one of the Derek Anderson stories. The day after or two days after uh, that he had the knee, I'm walking down the halls of Memorial Coliseum. And I hear somebody just screaming. And I tell this to people all the time when they don't want to go through physical therapy. And I'm a believer in physical therapy, having gone through it four times in my life. Is that, is that I'm walking down the hallway, and I hear somebody screaming. And I said, my God, what's going on? So I open the door, and I walk into the training room, and there's Derek Anderson lying there. He's got a one-pound weight on his leg, and he's trying to lift it. Fast Eddie Jamal was standing next to him. He was the trainer. And I said, Derek, you're all right. And he looked up at me and said, yeah, Ralph, I'm okay. And then Eddie says, he needs a break. Talk to him a few minutes, Ralph. So Eddie went out, and I'm talking to Derek. And I said, are you sure you're okay? He says, yeah. He said, Ralph, I don't have any choice except to rehab. He said, I've got to rehab, and I've got to play in the professional rank, professional basketball. If I don't, I'm another black kid from the West End of Louisville who failed. Now look at the record and see how much money Derek Anderson has given to charities in Louisville. It's millions, millions that he's given. And I always tell these people who don't want to rehab because, oh, it hurts a little bit, or it costs you know too many miseries if I do this. You know. I said, let me tell you the Derek Anderson story. So I told this to a, to a, down in Florida. I told this to a physical therapist, and they looked at me like, yeah, sure. Two days later, the Courier Journal printed almost the exact story of his rehab in the paper. And to, to even today, it sticks on their wall about Derek Anderson. And they'll show it to these people who don't want to rehab. And you ask me why I ride a bicycle? It's to rehab. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rick up and leaves when they offer him everything they do at Boston. Uh, it, it seems like there's not 24 hours between the day. It was more than 24, but it doesn't seem like it's more than 24 hours between Rick announced his leaving and Tubby's in. It was much longer than that. I, I, I know that I got a call from, from Rick, and he said, uh, do you have Tubby's number? I said, no. He said, well, here it is. You may have to call him. And I said, and again, remember, well, now it's so important. It's just that I handle the the money for the coaching shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, I know. Well, wait, wait, wait right there. Let, let's go into that a little bit. Uh, your involvement, I mean, things are done differently today than they were back then. Uh, your group of people, you, Jim Host. And Ralph Gabbard. Ralph Gabbard had all the coaches shows, both TV and radio. And so that was sort of outside. In other words, the school would negotiate with a coach and then they would sort of turn over you guys and, that was really between you guys and the coach, and the school wasn't really right. financially involved. Exactly right. It all, it all came about after John Ray and after Coach Rupp mm -hmm. is that we started handling it. Uh, Mr. Kincaid, Garvis Kincaid, gave us orders. He wanted the coaches to handle those. Uh, and so go ahead. Let me break in, and we'll get right back to it. Your relationship with Mr. Kincaid. 
Uh, he was my boss. He owned, uh, you know, he owned WBLK. How did you meet him? Oh, just I worked at WBLK, and uh, and uh, that's, I mean, here's a guy that based on TV, radio, bank, yeah. financial services, yeah. insurance company. I, I never met him before I worked there. I mean, I'd, I'd worked there two or three years before I ever met Mister Kincaid. Uh, he was a tough dog. He was he was one. one and it seems like he pretty much just took over the community, maybe late sixties, early seventies. No, not he never took over the community. He had an idea of what he wanted the community to be. He had a very definite idea uh, of what he wanted Lexington to be. Well, at the same time, so did First Security and their group, W.T. Young and uh, that group. And up until he took over, First Security was the big one. They were the big one and remained the big one. He just had a bigger imprint because he had the insurance company. He owned the banks. He owned the radio stations. He owned the television station. He did all of that so he could control more. And, and we've not mentioned here for some people who may not know, Ralph Gabbard was the head man at Channel 27 WKYT. Right. Is you it? had WVOK 590. Right. Under common ownership. Yes. Of, of and then Central Bank, mm-hmm. Kentucky Finance, Finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Kentucky Central Life Insurance Company, and vast real estate holdings. Yes. Vast real estate holdings, of which the family still has. So let's get back oh. to Tubby then. Okay. Uh Back to and Rick, you mean? I mean Rick. Yeah. And the radio show. Yeah. Is it well? What happened was they, they we 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 had the had the broadcast rights for radio and TV for Joe B, and then for Fran Kersey. Uh We were the first people in America to ever put the coaches on where somebody out in the state could pick up the telephone and call them unscreened and talk to them, and, and that was not done. We 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 began that. Uh, we, we had them like 110 radio stations, 125 radio stations across the state. We had uh, had the Koshy shows. There weren't many that had more than two or three across in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, we had uh, had all of those things going. Uh, and uh, we paid the coaches more money for doing those radio and TV shows by by twice at least than they were making from the University of Kentucky. Now, that's those are the facts. So, so Tubby's very first year, he takes yeah. over. and uh, Well, anyway, so Rick called me, so you may have to give him a call. And I didn't, but I, I did end up. What happened was uh, I, uh, I happened to be in Rick's office when Rick made his announcement, and I was, I was trying to buy this little car from Maryland. And they said, well, you'll not get it for six months. Rick Patino's got the first one coming in and <laughs> said it's going to be here. And so they said it's here. They called up to kind of rub it in and says, says it's uh, – Rick's car's here. Well, I'd built the cellular telephone system in Lexington at that particular time. So I had a cell phone. I, I'd go over there, and I'm just sitting in Rick's office when he gets through with the press conference. And he comes up, and we say our goodbyes. And uh, I'm not trying to say that Rick and I were close friends. We were friends, but we're business associates. That's what it amounted to. Uh, I wasn't one of the guys who went and played golf, who went to dinner and did all those things and traveled with him. We, we saw each other socially, but not a tremendous amount. So I'm not trying to overplay the hand here. But we were friends. And uh, so we... Uh, we sat there and talked five minutes. I walk out of the, uh, I'd called the dealership and told him he was leaving. And they said, no, no, he's not leaving. I walked out and my cell phone rings. And they said, if you want the dead burn car, come and get it. So <laughs> I, I still have the car. But anyway, Tubby comes and uh, CM called me and says, do you know anybody in Atlanta who's got a, uh, or he wanted the number, this friend of ours in Atlanta who had a, had a plane. And I gave it to him. So he goes over to Athens, picks up Do- Donna and Tubby, flies up here with it. And I met him at the airport, brought him in. You know, he did, the, did his press conference. We do what he's got to do, get on the airplane. And I fly back to Athens, Georgia, take him back there, mm-hmm. back there. So that began 
Tubby and I being just about as close as Eddie and I uh, at that particular point. And uh, Tubby Smith is like Eddie Sutton. Uh, if he's your friend, he's your friend. If he says he's going to do something, you don't have to call him. He'll be there. So he wins the title with dramatic fashion because he really wasn't that highly uh, rated as far as Final Four material when it got to March Madness, but they got on a pretty good roll. They had the big win against Duke in, uh, I think, Tampa. Yeah, and that's St. Petersburg. Uh, yes, and then they went to the Final Four in San Antonio and had two big come-from-behind games. Right. I always think people always talk about the 92 game with Duke. See, I think that game would do was a better game. We come from 13 down and win. You know that game. Well, I, th- I think probably the difference there is, is it wasn't as dramatic, because no one expected them to be even on the floor in the the '92 game. And if you remember the '92 game, the last 10 minutes there wasn't any bad plays on either team. I mean, it was great, but. You're, you're in the end, as far as winning and coming from behind the way they did, but to me, the smartest move in that entire game for the last eight and a half minutes was Tubby jumping up, wanting to talk to his players, and knew that Krzyzewski had no timeouts left, and he just ate the timeout yep. where Krzyzewski couldn't get to his team. Right. Yeah, I understand. And I, I still – and. and, and did Cameron Mills not have a great game there or not? Unbelievable. And I remember that last shot he made, he shot, shot the thing up and, there. And I, and I think – And he stops, drops to his knees and says a prayer. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, uh, Shamu Evans had a big game in that game. He did. Yeah. Did. But, uh, uh, but Tubby Smith, Tubby, that was a – and I thought, I really thought and said it on the air, I thought the monkey was off Tubby's back. It had been on his back all year. Yes. Playing with Rick's players. Yes. And I, and I truly believe this. The players that left Rick left, Rick could not have coached them the way Tubby coached them. Well, Cameron Mills told me on a podcast that uh, he didn't think that Rick could have won with that team either. Okay. But he said late into the season, the players were on one page and Tubby was on the other. Well, I don't and know they that. had a meeting with Tubby. Yeah. And from that point on, boom. And, no. of course. No. It wins the championship. Yeah. And, and that was the highlight of his career the University of Kentucky. You go on, uh, they have a great team in 03 when Keith Bogans has got a sprained ankle against a guy by the name of Dwayne Wade, and they don't make it to Final Four there. But as you're going along this time, Ralph Hacker's starting to think about, you know, how long you want to go. Well, I'd bought, uh, in 1995, I bought uh, WVOK. In 1996, I had three other radio stations. I'd given up the football for two reasons. Uh, a, I couldn't see the field anymore. I've got glaucoma very badly, and uh, so I couldn't see couldn't see the field. And uh, the other is I was trying to run a business uh, in a multi million dollar business. And so about that particular time, uh, I put all together these radio stations, and then in two thousand somebody came along and wanted to buy them. So they want they thought they were worth a lot more than I did, and so I took their money. And uh, my wife wanted to move to Florida in the wintertime, so we moved to Florida. And I was really trying to do the ball games by living in Florida and coming back here twice a week. And after two years, I got tired of that. And so your last year was? 92. We lost to USC up in uh, in Philadelphia. 02. 02. It was just, uh, you know, I probably could have, if I'd I'd really, really had to have uh, 
thought about it and wanted to not live in Florida with my wife. I could probably could have stayed here and had a place in Lexington and gone down there once a month or something like that in Florida. Uh, but I, I didn't. And I had uh, hired Tom Leach years ago with the idea that whenever I quit, Tom Leach would be the play-by-play guy. And uh, he, he became, Have you missed? Huh? Have you missed it? I miss the people. I don't miss the events so much. I can watch them. I can listen to them. I listen to nearly part of nearly every ball game uh, through the satellite radio or for some other means. I'll, I'll listen to everyone that I can or part of it. But I miss the people. I don't. It has changed so much. Back when I was doing them, I was friends with the coaches. I was friends with most of the players. Uh, some of the players that, that I worked with are still some of my closest friends. Uh, the people like Bill Kitely and you know, Russell Rice and Jack Perry and Brooks Downing, Chris Cameron, all those people. I enjoyed being with those people so doggone much. Uh, you know, Marta McMakin. I could go on and on and on with the people that I just dearly love. Uh, you know, Sandy Bell and how the relationship that we all had and how the trust that we had in one another. Uh, I don't think they had that so much with the broadcast team anymore from what I'm told is it's the way it's structured now, it is impossible for them to have that. And if a player came here, he knew he was going to be here four years, and we knew them for four years. Let me throw some names. Just give me a, a phrase, five or six words, a sentence or whatever. And, and I'm going to start out with, with some of the people uh, uh, that you worked with in your business. Uh, Jeff Dano. Jeff Dano may be the best color man in America. Uh, Jeff Bannot is so knowledgeable, it is uh, unbelievable, and uh, just an outstanding person. John Morelovich. John Morelovich was the great offensive line coach. Uh, uh, I chose him to come with me and work on the television when I was doing the television stuff because of his knowledge. Uh, Dick Gabriel. Dick Gabriel. A uh, guy called me once and says, Ralph, would you give uh, this young man a chance? says he just graduated from the University of Kentucky, comes from a large family, and needs a job. Boy, am I proud of him. Dave Baker. Dave Baker was a television host. Uh, nobody had ever done a Sunday morning radio show in Lexington, a uh, call-in show. I called up Dave and said, <clears throat> Dave, you're full of bull. How about coming and doing this television show? <laughs> I did this radio show, and I, Dave, Dave has just turned, has bloomed and blossomed. Let, let, let me branch out just a tad here and, and ask you about some people that, that you uh, have had contact with or relationships with throughout the SEC over the years. People like Say, hey, Wood Harrison, Bud Ford. Well, Bud Ford was a great sports information director down at the University of Tennessee. Hey, Wood Harris was a great sports information director. He's the guy that made you feel like you were wanted when you came in there. Claude Felton. Claude Kent Felton at the University of Georgia was, 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 again, another one of those guys. He you're made you feel smiling, comfortable Ralph. when you went in there, huh? <laughs> you're, you're actually smiling. Oh, yeah, I just, I just think the world of those guys. Dave Housel. Dave Housel always uh, would take us to the finest places in Auburn, Alabama to eat. Now, you can understand, Dave weighed about 375, 400 pounds, and he's about six foot two. And uh, he, uh, another one of those guys who made you feel welcome, and I'm so sorry it didn't work out for him as athletics director at the University of, of Auburn. Paul Manasseh. Paul Manasseh was a good guy. I didn't know him as well as I did the others but uh, that you've mentioned so far, but Paul Manasseh was a nice, nice fellow. Langston Rogers. <laughs> the Hawk. Yeah. I got to know him best when I was doing the Southeastern Conference television. That's one of the other things I did as a sideline. 
is I did the SEC, the games Hammond didn't have a chance to do, and I would do the Southeastern Conference. I kind of inv- I, I, not kind of I did invent the, the position of interviewing people so that Joe and, and Joe Dean and Tom could get a break. Uh, that now they have staffs of hundreds doing on the Southeastern Conference Network. I did all of that, and that's where I got to know Langston because I worked with him so closely in the Southeastern Conference tournament. Bob Hartley. Bob Hartley was uh, uh, not one of he, he was a, a guy that I worked with, but I can't say that I knew Bob extremely well. He was closer to Kaywood than he was with me, and, and when I started doing the SEC stuff, I could he had somebody else assigned to do the basketball because he did football. Larry White. Larry White was uh, at Alabama. Yes. Larry White. He was a, he was a good guy. Uh, all these guys are, are wonderful people and, and love their university. And when you went in there and you ask them for something, they arrange for it to happen. Kirk McNair, Alabama. Oh, Kirk McNair. Yeah. Another one, another <laughs> one of those guys. Uh, you know, and we had uh, such great times with them at the Southeastern Conference Tournament when you, when you did have a break. You know, now, the, now you got to give me a good line because he was around and he, and he was, they broke the mold with him. Boyd McWhorter. Oh. The commissioner. <laughs> I'll tell you, Kaywood Ledford story, Boyd McWhorter. Uh, Scoop Huggins came up to Kaywood to me once, and he said and to Scoop him. Scoop was the SID. The SID of the Southeastern Conference. He says, boys, said, uh, uh, Mr. McWhorter has given me this basketball and told me to break it in. <laughs> he said, said uh, how do you do that? He says, well, if it's McWhorter. Kaywood says, well, if it's McWhorter giving you to do it, you need to bend over and snap it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, he, thinks, he thinks that a basketball is a, is a football that hadn't laid outside and ruined yet. Mark Womack. <laughs> Mark Womack, again, is, is, you know, again, you name, you're bringing up names I haven't, I haven't thought of for, for a long, long time. It fits in that mold with the Haywood Harris uh, yes. type fella. You know, he fits, fits in that mold. And uh, Mark Whitworth. Another, Charles Bloom. Yeah, Charles Bloom down at LSU. You know, Charles. Oh, well, he's in South Carolina now. Yeah, but I said he used to. When I yeah. knew him, he was at, he was at, uh, he was at, uh, at LSU, just just starting out. you yeah. got to understand. He was, I don't know he was a grad assistant or what when I first got to know, uh, know him. But he fits, again, with those guys who want to make you feel comfortable and want to make it easy for you to do your, your, your job when you come in there. And it's a different era. Oh, different. Totally. And you haven't mentioned Charlie Thornton. No, Charlie Thornton, who was like the dean yes. of uh, sports information directors. Well, he and Manassa were like one, two. Yeah, at, but Charlie Thornton was yeah. just unbelievable. And he was so tight with the NCAA folks. Yeah, and with Coach Bryant. Yes. I, I don't, can't tell you the number of times he'd march us into the into Coach Bryant's office and he'd say, uh, Coach, got the Kentucky boys here, so we've got Kaywood and Ralph. They'll come up to say hi to you, you know, that sort of thing. And we didn't ask to go up there. Charlie would just take us up to meet Coach Ryan again. And I got to mention Jack Perry because he may be the only guy ever that worked for both Bear Bryant and Adolph Rupp uh, at two different places. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's been anybody else. But uh, Jack Perry, of course, started out at the Hero Leader as a librarian, and he became the assistant sports information director at Kentucky. Then he became the sports information director following Charlie Thornton at the University of Alabama. And unfortunately, uh, that didn't work out after a few years when they had a change of administration down there. But Jack was a really good fellow. He turned out to be a farmer right? Uh, in, in Tuscaloosa, uh, one of his good friends, and, and bring up his Walt McCombs. Yeah, I never, uh, I never thought of Jack as a farmer. And Walt McComb, what a nice fellow Walt McComb is, and, and a great trainer. He was, yeah. he was a trainer with Joe B. and Coach Rupp, you know, yeah. after, after uh, uh, he, Joe took over. Yeah. 
And let's go back to uh, Russell Rice. Russell Rice was a writer for the Lexington Leader. He was the editor, I guess, of the paper at the time, and he became uh, the uh, sports information director at the University of Kentucky. And the first trips I ever made, Russell was, uh, was my guide, showing me where and what to do. First oysters I think I ever had in my life, raw oysters. Russell Rice took me to the Delight Oyster Bar in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, of course, we can't forget people like uh, Brad Davis. Oh, Brad Davis, uh, you know, was Bob Davis's son. And uh, Brad Davis, I guess, went to, went to Auburn. He came to the University of Kentucky as sports information director, worked for Kaywood for, for a length of time before going to the Southeastern Conference. And then we had Chris Cameron. Chris Cameron was outstanding and, and was until he quit being a sports information director last year uh, at Boston and now is in the real estate business up in the Boston area. So if anybody's up in the Boston area and wants to buy a piece of real estate, or call so, Chris Cameron. That's right. Brooks Downing? Brooks Downing was a young guy in high school. Uh, over here, I, I knew him all through that particular period when he was in high school. I knew his family. Uh, our transmitter farm here in Lexington abutted his family's farm out off of Leestown and Yarnelton Pike. Best Kentucky player you ever watched? Would never even talk, think about giving you that. Uh, that's uh, there's it's all subject. It's like somebody once asked me to vote on and I've asked a number of times to vote on the best players of all time in Kentucky. And I said by position, I said no. I said then I don't vote. <laughs> I don't vote. Is I, I but there've been some great ones. I mean, you, there, there's no question. You you know, I didn't I didn't get to see Wawa Jones play. I didn't get to see Ralph Beard play. I remember being with Ralph Beard when somebody came up to him one time and said, "Ralph, uh, we were at Indianapolis. Says, uh, can you uh, are you the can you beat so and so?" And Ralph says, "Hell no." And they said, "Well, you're supposed to have been the best guard ever at the University of Kentucky." He said, "I was." But I'm 67 years old. He's 19. <laughs> you know, so that's about the way it goes. But Jamal Mashburn would have to be in there. Dan Essel would have to be in there. Uh, there, and, and you, you know, you, there are just so many. Uh, you know, the, the young players now that 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 different would, era, different era that would be in there. You, it would be hard to say that this guy is the best player ever at the University of Kentucky. But I will say the one who meant probably most to anybody at the University of Kentucky is Jamal Mashburn. I said that a while ago. I think he meant more to the University of Kentucky basketball program at the moment, at the time, the time and place, than anybody else. Either your favorite or the best UK squad. Uh, I liked I liked the uh, the seventy five team. I liked the seventy eight team, and I liked the uh, and I liked the uh, 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 Richie Farmer group when they were yeah, here. The Unforgettables. The most exciting game that you were a part of? Probably the LSU comeback when we were down by all those points down there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and all of a sudden it came. We started uh, uh, started hitting those threes, and uh, also the time we beat was at Arizona out in Hawaii when Jeff Brasso tipped one in from about 14 feet out along the baseline that we upset uh, number one. We were number four. They're number one. We beat them. Uh, and then there was some, you know, the, the comeback that we had against uh, – Against Kansas, uh, you know, thanks to the shooting of Kyle Macy and the antics of Dwight Anderson uh, when he faked a, a charging foul. And uh, Darnell Valentine fouled out of the ball game. Uh, the, the University of Nevada ball t- team that came in here and we beat them in the last seconds. There have been so many, many great ball games uh, involving this UK basketball. It's just unbelievable. 
the best road arena atmosphere outside Kentucky. Hmm. On a good night, on a good night, with Big Apple Sanders playing or somebody like that, LSU. But it would take it would take somebody like like a team like that that would uh, uh, and players like that to play against Kentucky on the road to make it fired up. Is there anything you would do differently if you had it to do over in your career? Yeah, there'd be some of the people they stuck me to work with early on in my career. When I started doing the play by play, I would totally rebel against. Name? Nope. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 23, part three of Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Ralph Hacker. Now, if you missed part one and part two, go to oscarcombs.com and part one's episode 21 and part two's episode 22 with Ralph Hacker. Great corresponding podcast. That would be Jim Host, episode five and Brooks Downing, episode 19 and 20. And of course, you have access to that as well oscarcombs.com is where you need to be at also too you can get all of oscar's podcast on your mobile device itunes go to the itunes store search at wildcat news subscribe and download google play store if you have an android device go to the google play store search for at wildcat news subscribe and download we'd love to hear your feedback and who would you like oscar to talk to in the future check them out on twitter at wildcat news until then i'm bo robinson and as always Go Big Blue.